This is Dr. Mubeen Sayyid with one more episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Bean from the FLCCC platform. So the study today, it is a preprint by Yale that is for the post-vaccine syndrome. They did not call it vaccine injured patients because they say we do not have the causative link. However, these pathologies and these diseases and symptoms started after receiving first, second, third, or fourth dose of the vaccine. So they called it post-vaccine syndrome or PVS. Let's look at the study. It is interesting. So first, the references. This is covid19criticalcare.com or flccc.net. Over here, you are seeing treatment protocols, medical evidence, COVID resources, education, etc. If you go to the top URL and add Dr. Bean at the end after a forward slash, you would see my lectures over here as well. And I cannot believe it that we have reached 78 episode. And of course, this is one of the next ones. This is the study that I was talking about, post-vaccination syndrome, a descriptive analysis of reported symptoms and patient experience after COVID-19 immunization. And they only talk about two vaccines here, Moderna and Pfizer, BioNTech. They do not talk about Johnson & Johnson, and there are some patients who actually are part of the study who reached out to me afterwards when the study was printed here and said that, hey, we are Johnson & Johnson injured, but we are not, our data is not here, or Johnson & Johnson is not mentioned here. So that is one interesting one. There are many limitations of the study. We'll talk about that. But first, let's look at the study itself. The Yale researchers, the first authors are Harlan M. Cromoles. He is from the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation, Yale New Haven Hospital, Center for Infection and Immunity, Yale School of Medicine, etc. Then the other one, Yilun Wu, Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation, Yale New Haven's Hospital, Haven Hospital, Department of Biostatistics, Yale School of Public Health. And if you see here, here you would see Denise Hertz. She is, I believe, an MD who has been taking part in it. I had interviewed her on my channel in the past as well. Then Brienne Drissen from the React 19, and I have her interview as well on my channel. And then some more authors as you can see here. So let's start with the conclusion of the study and then introduction, and then we'll dig deeper into what the study is saying. So conclusion is the following. In conclusion, people reporting post-vaccine syndrome after COVID-19 vaccination in the study are highly symptomatic, highly symptomatic, have poor health status, and have tried many treatment strategies without success. As PVS is associated with considerable suffering, there is an urgent need to understand its mechanism to provide prevention, diagnosis, and treatment strategies. So that is their way of presenting this study. Of course, we know that there are many organizations that are able to offer insights into it. There are many studies that are able to offer insights into the damage and what should be done as well. So this is one. Now, if I go back here to quick methods and introduction, so a chronic post-vaccination syndrome after COVID-19 vaccination has been reported but has yet to be well characterized. Method, we included 241 individuals, age 18 and older, who self-reported PVS. So this is a weakness of the study, if you will, that these are self-reported symptoms. So one could say that, hey, self-reporting could be incorrect as well. There is no representative of them, meaning there is no doctor or researcher who is collecting that with a appropriate questionnaire. Still, it is actually very important that there is this study and there is a collection of symptoms. 
so self-reported, after COVID-19 vaccination and who joined the outline online Yale Listen to Immune Symptom and Treatment Experience Now or LISTEN study from May 2022 to July 2023. We summarized their demographics, health status, symptoms, treatment, tried, and overall experience. So in this study, you will not encounter a possibility of a discussion of mechanism. This is just the collection of symptoms, what treatments have been tried, and what is their current health status, and the demographics. So let's look at the results. The median age of participants was 46 years. Interquartile range is 38 to 56 years, with 80% identifying as female, 87% as non-Hispanic white, and 211 or 88% from the United States. So you could say that that is the kind of bias in the study, that there is this specific group, primarily majority white and females, and from US. And they discuss this in their limitations, that this kind of a study should then become expanded into other countries and other demographics as well. Among these participants with PVS, 55% had received Pfizer-BioNTech, and 37% received mRNA, Moderna vaccine. Check this one out. The median time from the day of index vaccination to symptom onset was three days, and the IQR is one day to eight days. Three days, within three days, the injury started. The time from vaccination to symptom survey completion was 595 days. 417 to 661 days is the IQR. This is the number of days people are suffering with vaccine injury or trying to be true to the study itself, PVS is what they call it. The time from vaccination to symptom survey completion was 595 days, 417 to 661 is the IQR. The median EuroQL visual analog scale score was 50 and there is a range for that. The five most common symptoms, so check this one out, the five most common symptoms were exercise intolerance, 71% of the patient, exercise intolerance, excessive fatigue, 69%, numbness, 63%, brain fog, 63%, and neuropathy, 63%. In the week before survey completion, participants reported feeling unease, 93%, fearfulness, 82%, overwhelmed by worries, 81%, as well as feeling of helplessness, 80%, anxiety, 76%, depression, 76%, hopelessness, 72%, and worthlessness, 49% at least once. Now, this doesn't mean that this disease is just psychological. We have had many discussions before as well that the vaccine injury and long COVID, they do have inflammatory state that is propagated in the body. They can actually be a direct effect of that inflammatory state on the neurological tissue. In addition to this, when somebody who was healthy, happy, going around their life and doing their work, and all of a sudden they are fatigued, they cannot move, they cannot do their daily activities, of course they are going to become worried and fearful about their life, about their careers, about their well-being, their financials, and so on. Then, participants reported a median of 20 interventions to treat their condition. They tried 20. This is the median. You would see actually that there is a larger range of various things that people have tried. Conclusion, in this study, individuals who reported PVS after COVID-19 vaccination had low health status, high symptom burden, and high psychological stress despite trying many treatments. There is a need for continued investigation to understand and treat this condition. 
So with this, now I want to go into some details of the study as well. So let's start with their PDF. This is their introduction. The vaccine against SARS-CoV-2 have saved many lives, but adverse events have been reported. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention notes the possibility of rare complications, including anaphylaxis, thrombi, thrombocytopenia syndrome, Guillain-Barré syndrome, and myocarditis and pericarditis. I wanted to make one comment over here, and I have been thinking about this more and more nowadays, and that is this term, possibility of rare. There has been no study by our CDCs and FDAs of the world to say we are going to follow the patients who received or people who received vaccine and then ask them how their health is to figure out what percentage is becoming injured so that this term rare could be replaced by a percentage over here to say this percentage of people get side effects. I find this baffling that it is not done. The other thing that I find interesting is that there is another simple study to do, and that is to take saliva after vaccination, multiple saliva samples over time, to see what kind of shedding may be occurring. Is there IgA and IgG shedding, which we have proof of? Is there mRNA shedding? For example, in the breast milk, we know. Is there shedding of mRNA or spike in the saliva as well? So these studies are simple studies to do, but these are not done. That just baffles me. Now, back to the study, these complications were not reported in the vaccine clinical trials, emphasizing the limitations of these studies in capturing rare adverse events and highlighting the critical role of post-market surveillance. And this is something that they are correct in saying, that there was a thought, there was a discipline. For every drug, there is this discipline that once that drug is out in the market, there is a post-market surveillance that is done because we need to understand when the drug goes out in a larger scale, in a larger population, what happens. It is actually called, called the phase four. Whenever a drug is present in market, it is not said to be out of trial. It is in the trial phase four. For these newer vaccines and drugs, those phase four are missing. Then they talk about the cause of this syndrome is undefined. Diagnostic tests and evidence-based interventions are lacking and its connection with vaccine vaccination remains controversial. So they're showing a, an association soon after the vaccine. So there is a temporal association present. However, they're saying that we do not know what the cause is. A first step in understanding what these patients experience is a description of their symptoms, treatments, and health status. So what they're saying is that as there is a lot of data that is missing, the first thing to do is to figure out what are the symptoms, what is happening, and then collect them to then go to the next step to see, could we now start digging deeper into this? So they're saying, we are doing this. We sought to describe the characteristics, symptoms, health status, treatment, and experience of individuals who report post-vaccination syndrome using data from Yale. Listen to immune symptoms and treatment experience now study an online observational study. That also is a weakness of the study, but still I'll take it considering there are not much studies around these aspects of the vaccines. Listen participants were recruited from Hugo Health Kindred, an online patient community. The Listen study began recruiting participants who reported PVS in May 2022. PVS was defined by self-report in response to whether the individual thought the vaccine had injured them. And that is a weakness as well, right? The reason I bring that up is to acknowledge that this is a study. 
It has its limitations, but it still is an important step forward. Study sample. The study sample includes participants aged 18 year and older who reported PVS from May 2022 to July 2023. We did not include people who concurrently reported long COVID. So there were hundreds of people who also said we have long COVID and they were excluded. Now, should they all have been treated as post-vaccine? Maybe. Should they all be separated because they have long COVID? Maybe. I think there was some more diligence to be done to see maybe there is an overlap with vaccine and what could have happened if they had long COVID before or if they developed it after and should that be called vaccine injury? Now, I also want to make sure over here, sometimes I read comments in, under my channel where people say that there is no concept of long COVID, it is all vaccine injury. That is not correct. Long COVID had been there even before the vaccines were introduced. So COVID can cause long COVID. However, the symptoms are quite overlapping. I think it's understandable. Spike protein, one common denominator in this whole situation, can and being very toxic can cause these kind of symptoms and the response of the immune system to spike protein can cause similar symptoms for the long covid or vaccine injury so i think there was a need to dig a little deeper maybe they'll do that in the future but at this time they said we excluded them i think that was a mistake but again this is what we got and we'll take it the study population comprised 241 individuals with self-reported PVS. Regarding the social support, this is a very important paragraph that I'm going to read. Regarding the social support, 41% had two or fewer supportive individuals to rely on for help. Imagine being happy, healthy, doing your work, being a good citizen to say, all right, you're asking us to have vaccine, I'm going to go get vaccine, and then becoming dependent or two, one or two people to help you with daily life. Getting help from neighbors was described as challenging or very challenging by 36%. You can imagine it will be challenging to ask the neighbors for help when you are almost disabled. It, it's, it's a difficult thing. While 10% rarely or never had assistance for tasks like shopping or visiting the doctor. Loneliness was prevalent, with 20% often feeling a lack of companionship, 23% feeling left out, and 32% feeling isolated. Furthermore, 12% often or always felt lonely. Concerns related to living situation and food security were also prominent. And I want to just quickly comment on the loneliness. One, if somebody is disabled in our society, U.S. society, People go out and they work and they look after their daily matters. And somebody who has become vaccine injured, for them to go about their daily business is a little tough. So if they are staying home and they're dependent on others, they are going to feel lonely. Secondly, the society in general. I could not imagine this cruelty from our society. And that is vaccine injury has become a taboo. Bringing up vaccine injury invokes people's laughter or dismissal, including the healthcare authorities and healthcare system. That, I think, is wrong. As a medical professional, it is incorrect to approach a patient by either not believing them or dismissing them as this is all in their head, or even to a point where saying that you are only doing this to get your disability. 
Who will like to become disabled to receive some thousand dollars? Nobody. So concerns related to living situation and food security were also prominent. In this society, making living in healthy state is challenging, especially nowadays. And then imagine somebody becomes fatigued or exhausted or has numbness or brain fog, plus psychological issues either caused by the inflammation or by the situation that they are in. And then having to earn and run your life. It's a tough situation. Among all participants, 9% feared running out of food before they could afford to buy more. Can you imagine this? And this study actually does not include a lot of folks who, for example, could not use online systems or who were not participating in online activities, maybe because they don't have a computer or they do not have internet, or they are too injured to be able to use computers and internets to figure out there is some study going on, and those who died. So this is not a study that is mappable to the whole injured community. It is a very tiny subset, and even that subset that we can see has these fears going on. Among all participants, 9% feared running out of food before they could afford to buy more, and 7% had stable housing but expressed worry about future loss. Transportation issues impeded 5% participants from carrying out essential non-medical tasks and 4% from attending medical appointments. So timing of symptoms. Symptoms began after the first, second, third, and fourth or more vaccinations for 44%. That is the first. After first dose, 44%. Second dose, 33%. Third dose, 14%. And four and more, 9%. So there is, if you include first and second dose, 44 and 33% are just affected there. And then a smaller percentage can get affected even after with the boosters. Symptom severity. When asked to quantify symptom severity on their worst days, zero representing a trivial illness and 100 for an unbearable condition, participants reported a median severity of 80. 69 to 89 is IQR, 80. On their worst days, participants who rated their current health as fair or poor reported a median symptom severity of 80. Then the symptom characteristics as we looked at that before as well, excessive fatigue, numbness, brain fog, neuropathy, insomnia, palpitations, myalgias, myalgias, muscle pains, tinnitus or hummings in ears, 54%, headache, 53%, burning sensation, 50%, dizziness, 50%. I want to repeat this just so we can empathize with those who are injured. Exercise intolerance, 71%. Excessive fatigue, 69%. Numbness, 63%. Brain fog, 63%. I will give you an example of my own, not from the vaccine injury, but from long COVID. I had COVID and for a couple of months after, when I would be doing these studies and teachings, and when these numbers will come up, 167 and 69%, while teaching, I will not be able to make sense of those numbers. I still remember, of course, people did not, who were listening to me, they did not know that I'm going through this. And I still remember people put some comments underneath that under my video saying Dr. Bean doesn't know math or somebody wrote Dr. Bean's math is not great. And I was struggling just to do simple math, just to talk about stats and p-values 
And so brain fog, 63%. So brain fog is not just brain fog. It has so many aspects. Neuropathy, 63%. Insomnia, 61%. Palpitations, 60%. Myalgia, 55%. Humming in ears, 54%. Headache, 53%. Burning sensation, 50%. Dizziness, 50%. And of course, as you can see, that these are not to be summed up these are overlapping symptoms in one individual who could have more than one symptoms. Imagine their condition. New diagnosis since the pandemic. The most common new diagnosis in the study sample since the beginning of the pandemic were anxiety, 36%, neurological conditions, 33%, GIT issues, 30%, and postural orthostatic tachycardia reports, 29%. There were 22% participants who reported migraine and 20% who reported depression. Now, check this one out. This is the last point and then we stop. Treatment. Participants reported having taken many treatments. The total number of unique treatments types was 209, which we grouped into 40 categories. The median number of individual treatment tried were 20 from a range from 0 to 65, IQR 13 to 30, the most common prescription therapies reported were oral steroids, 48%, gabapentin, 25%, low-dose naltrexone, 20%, ivermectin, 18%, propranolol, 11%, bronchodilators, 11%. More than 500 additional treatments were reported by participants. The most common non-pharmacological treatment included limiting exercise or exertion by 51%, quitting alcohol or caffeine, 44%, Hydration and increasing salt intake for the cardiovascular issues, 44%, and intermittent fasting, 39%. So let's just very quickly look at the some of their limitations as well, just so that we can be aware. You could actually be thinking that there are many limitations, but still, this is a study, preprint at least, got published. That itself is a win. This study has several limitations. It is an uncontrolled observational cross-sectional study of self-referred participants who reported that they had the onset of symptoms soon after vaccination, which in many cases persisted for more than a year. The participants are not representative, so it is not possible to estimate the incidence or who might be most susceptible to the condition. Participating in LISTEN required people to join the community, consent to study, and complete the surveys, this approach may have skewed our sample away from people who were too ill to participate or had substantial cognitive dysfunction. Also, the study required online access, some digital literacy, and English fluency, further limiting participation and representativeness. Since participants were strongly skewed towards those who reside in the U.S. and self-identify as white, efforts are needed to study more inclusive group. And I would add here, there were those as well who died those who died because of the long COVID or vaccine injury, and those who committed suicides. So a smaller slice, but still an important study to consider. I would request you to look at the study and look at the supplementary material to see all the treatments and various other dimensions of the study. Thank you very much, and I would see you next week.